Welcome to Ben's Bible Podcast. I'm Ben Burkhart, your host, and on this podcast, we share refreshing and faith-building biblical truths. I hope you'll plan to join us on a regular basis. God bless you, and let's jump in to this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Ben Burkhart here, and today we are covering a message entitled, The Power of the Lamb. We're going to be exploring the roots of lamb-centered worship in the Bible and how it foreshadowed God's Son coming to this earth through ritual-specific ritual prophecies like the Passover. What exactly took place and how did it foreshadow God's plan to save mankind? We're going to be looking at that. And most importantly, we will see how we can experience God's salvation power at work in our lives. We can know God, his love, his plan, and his saving peace more powerfully through this message. So I'm very excited to share it with you. And this message was pre-recorded before a live audience. So I pray that you'll be immensely blessed by the Word of God. And I'm going to play that message for you here in just a quick moment. Before I do, let's have a word of prayer for God's blessing in your life. Our Father in heaven, just want to pray right now uh, that you would be with my friend who is listening right now and my friends who are tuning in. Lord, uh, please bless them and draw them nearer to you. Help them to experience the power of your love, the power of your salvation through Jesus Christ. And may you help us, Lord, to experience your peace and ultimate salvation through Jesus, the Lamb of heaven. So thank you for this wonderful blessing and for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that will guide us and teach us as we learn here together. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, friend. I pray that you enjoy the message, and I will look forward to having you join me next week as well for our next podcast release, which will be on Tuesday. So until then, blessings, and please enjoy today's message. And our message today is the power of the Lamb. The power of the Lamb. Before we get into God's Word, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you once again for this opportunity to lay aside the cares of this life, the distractions of the world, and to focus on you. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us by your Spirit this morning as we open up the Word, as we begin this message of seeking to know your truth as you have revealed it. Please guide us, Lord, by the Spirit, and use me as you desire in your service today to share the message that you have for our hearts and our minds this hour. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The power of the Lamb. Well, people are celebrating Jesus this weekend. Praise the Lord. People are celebrating because they're remembering the great sacrifice that Christ went through. They're remembering the Holy Week, that last week of life that Jesus lived through with his disciples and how he revealed himself in the triumphant entry on that Sunday preceding it all and how he went down through the week with different things being anointed uh, for his burial, although the disciples hadn't figured it out yet, going through the events leading up to the Passover meal and what we call the Last Supper when Jesus ate with his disciples on that Thursday night. 
going through the events of the betrayal by Judas, his close friend, that evening, that Thursday evening, going through the foot washing service and the emblems of his sacrifice, his blood that would be poured out for them, his body which would be broken for all of us. Jesus went through those things with his disciples, and he prayed with his disciples, and he instructed his disciples, and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, that place that he had so often gone to with his disciples, and there he prayed with them. They were very tired from all the events that had gone on. They were falling asleep at that most critical hour of Christ's ministry. Falling asleep there, and Jesus asked them, Would you pray with me? Even for just an hour, would you pray with me? Jesus needed people to pray. Jesus was going through a great agony of spirit because he knew exactly what was coming, and he knew that his betrayer was at hand, that soon he would be taken into captivity into the hands of darkness. And it happened just as the prophets foretold. Jesus, that very night, that Thursday night, after his time of prayer, he was strengthened by an angel and made ready for the conflict. And he won the battle on his knees that night in Gethsemane. Jesus went into custody. He went through an all-night sham trial. And he was whipped and beaten and spit on, and he was mocked. A crown of thorns was placed on his brow. And Jesus was led to Calvary, to that hill, Golgotha. And there Jesus was nailed to a hard wooden cross. And they hung him between heaven and earth on that cross. The sky grew dark. Clouds came over. It was thundering. People were a little bit frightened. What's going on here? Even the soldier thought, truly, this man is the Son of God. Look what's happening. The Bible tells us that there was an earthquake and the rocks broke open. They rent. And the temple inside of the curtain, or inside the curtain inside the temple, get that the other way around. All right, the curtain tore. That curtain that separated the holy and most holy places where God's presence was, that was torn in two. And we are told that somehow the lamb got away. <laughs> because of all the commotion, because of this thing tearing, uh, there was a sacrifice that was going to happen that evening, and it got away. But the real sacrifice didn't go anywhere. Jesus hung on that cross. And Jesus died on that cross for you and for me. And many people thought that might be the end of the story. But it wasn't. Jesus went to the tomb, a rich man's tomb, which was prophesied. He was buried there. And he rested over the Sabbath in the tomb. And on the first day of the week, which we know as Sunday, Jesus rose to life. He rose to continue his work. He overcame death. He overcame the grave. And you and I are here today because Jesus conquered the grave. Amen? We are here today because Jesus lives. And Jesus is working for us in heaven. That's powerful when you think about it. This wonderful good news about the gospel. But where did this story of hope begin? Did it only begin 2,000 years ago? Or did this story begin a lot longer ago, many, many more years ago. According to the Bible, the story begins in the book of Genesis. 
a book that we are spending some time to study this particular quarter. But if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them up to Genesis chapter 2, where we are looking at God's placing of mankind in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no death. Eden was beautiful. It was perfect. A world that we would love to be a part of. And God told Adam and Eve that there was one thing that they should not do in that garden. He told them they could eat from all the trees of the garden. They had lots of choices, lots of opportunities. They weren't lacking anything. They weren't starving. They weren't hungry. They were blessed. But when you look at verse 17, God said this, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What was the wages of sin? Death. In the day that they would make a decision or a choice to eat from that forbidden tree, they would experience death. That's what God said. In fact, they would be separated by their choice from the life giver. And if you separate from the life giver, what will happen? Death. You'll die. God is the one who sustains us, who gives us breath, who gives us life. And if we choose to live in sin or commit sin, we are stepping away from the very one who gave us life. And Jesus said, God said, that would be death. So, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see that the serpent comes along. The serpent defies God's word. And he says, you won't surely die. Genesis, that's Genesis 3 and verse 4. He says, you won't surely die. In other words, he's calling God a liar, isn't he? He says, oh, God's lying. And then he says in verse 5, For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here the devil really taints God's character, doesn't he? He says, God knows that you'll be like him, that you'll be God, and that's why God doesn't want you to eat it. it tells a different story, a different reason. And he makes you think that God is just in it for himself. God doesn't really care about you people. You think he cares? No, he doesn't want you to have what he has. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. And then he accuses God of, of um, you know, putting us in bondage. Well, that's bondage. You know, you're not really free unless you can eat the fruit. Well, how is sin freedom? <laughs> sin is not real freedom. Okay? Only holiness can bring true freedom. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the devil twisted everything around, and he made God look like the bad guy. And this, of course, is happening today. The devil's always twisting the story and saying, God's just trying to keep you from something good. He's trying to keep you from having fun, having a good time. And he sugarcoats sin. And in the end, sin doesn't help anybody. And as we have some experience in this life with sin, we begin to realize that sin is not all that it's cracked up to be. Sin is not really so good, is it? We realize that sin is actually very, very harmful. It hurts us, and it hurts not only us, 
but it hurts the people around us. It hurts others. There's a reason God spoke against sin. Because sin is very, very destructive. It's like a deadly cancer, a deadly disease that could destroy the entire universe in all peace and bring utter ruin. Sin is like Ebola. Sin is like the worst disease that you can think of. Sin is a horrible, horrible thing. And so God wanted us to know that, but the devil didn't want us to know that. He said, you can go ahead and eat it. And so in verse 6 of Genesis 3, we find it telling us there, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So Eve relied at this point, not on God's word. She heard the serpent's word. And she bought into that. But she also began to rely upon her own judgment, her own senses, her own feelings. It looks good to me. I don't think it'll hurt anybody. It could make me wise. She's starting to kind of believe the serpent. Because God told her one way. She knew what God commanded. But now she's hearing this other story from the serpent. And so she decides, well, how am I supposed to know? Who's right and who's wrong? Is it God or is it the serpent? Well, we need to trust God. But she didn't trust God. She began to trust herself. And so, whatever looks good to me, I don't see anything wrong with it. And that's what people are doing today. They say, I don't see anything wrong with it. And they go out and do all sorts of things and they rely on their own judgment instead of God's word. We need, really, a thus saith the Lord to guide us. Amen? We need the Bible to guide us because God will truly enlighten our senses. But if we sit around listening to the voice of the serpent, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. And that's what Eve did. She got into trouble. And so she took the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband and he ate it. Interesting how we become an evangelist for the devil, a worker for the devil. Here she commits sin, and then she spreads sin, inviting others to partake, including her husband, to partake of the sin. And that's how Satan works. He works to get the one he can get, and then he uses that one to get another one, and to get another one, and another one. And you have all humanity who is tainted with sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? But we can make choices through the power of Jesus to overcome that. Now, Adam and Eve knew after this, they knew that they were in trouble. They realized it. At the moment, they're like, oh, this is great. This is good. And then afterwards, oh, no, this is not good. The reality of sin starts to settle in as it does. Have you ever wondered about the Bible? What does it really mean? While some things are simple to understand, other things are not as easy. Questions like, how will Jesus come? What will the end of the world really be like? What happens when we die? And is there really a hellfire where the devil roasts people for endless ages? How can I find personal peace in my life? And if God is love, why is the world so evil? These are very important questions, and the Bible has clear answers to all of those questions. To begin your Bible study journey, please visit WooSDA.com. That's W-O-O-S-D-A.com. 
And in verse 7, the Bible tells us that the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. But when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the next verse, the Bible tells us that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God called out, Adam, where are you? And he said, well, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked. Are people running from God today? People are running from God today. People are scared to meet God. They're not comfortable to go to church because the message of God is a little different than our lifestyle has been. And so people are afraid and they're running naked And it's interesting that Adam and Eve tried their best to cover up with fig leaves and it didn't work. It wasn't enough. I always like to call that the first miniskirt. doesn't cover up enough. God says you're going to need a lot more than that. So they were hiding in the bushes because God was there. Hiding in the bushes, afraid of what was going to happen to them. And you know what? The good thing is that we serve a God of love. We serve a God with grace. A God with mercy. And that's so beautiful because, you know, if he wasn't a God of love and mercy and grace, Adam and Eve would be gone just like that. You miserable humans, you're out of here. Messed up. But thankfully, we serve a God, although he's perfect in every way, he's filled with grace. And he's perfect in his grace too. He's perfect in his mercy. He knows the right blend of justice and mercy and how to get things done in the right way. But he doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't excuse the debt of sin. Still, somebody will have to pay for the sin. Still, sin is a problem, but God is just choosing to fix the problem in another way. And so, God calls out to wayward mankind, to lost humanity, and he says, Come to me. They're hiding in the bushes, but God calls them to him. And God confronts sin right where it's at. Notice in verse 11 through 13 here. And we're we're working towards uh, seeing about this Passover lamb. I mentioned to you the power of the lamb and how important the lamb is. We're going to be looking especially at the lamb, focusing on it. But we're setting the stage here for what is coming as we look at what leads up to the introduction of the lamb. Notice in verses 11 through 13, he said... Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Sounds like the devil made me do it, right? (laughs) But... You know, the devil cannot make us do it, can he? He can tempt us. He can try to persuade us. But he cannot actually make you and I do something wrong. We have to choose to do something wrong. We have to make that decision. Because God has made each of us an autonomous being. And we are able to make a decision. He has given us free will and choice. That choice, which love requires, 
is shown right there in the fact that God told them, you can eat of all these trees, but don't eat from that one. God says you have a choice. And the devil can't take away that choice as much as he might like to. So it wasn't the devil who made her do it, although he was guilty too. He did tempt her to do it. And Adam and Eve had this blame game as well. And God came to Adam. He said, Adam, did you eat of that fruit? And Adam confessed that he did. But he said, you know, my wife that you gave me, she tempted me. (laughs) So who's guilty here? Adam says, well, Lord, you gave me a defective wife. What's wrong with this woman? (laughs) Okay, so God was being blamed and Eve was being blamed probably the first marriage fight. I'm sure Eve looked over at him like, hey, you know, you, you decided to eat it. Don't blame me. Although she did serve it up. <laughs> so you have this problem and all of them are guilty. And God turns to every single one of them, to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent. God turns to all of them and he calls them to task. He calls them to confess. Did God know what they had done? Absolutely. He never missed a beat. God knew exactly what had happened. However, confession was essential. And I think we've heard the saying, confession is good for the soul. Yeah, it's not only good, it's essential. (laughs) If you want to fix the problem, you have to admit and recognize that there is a problem. None of us are going to go to the doctor if we don't think there's a reason or a problem going on. So you have to recognize and come to terms with that before we can ever find true healing. God asked them, did you eat of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat from? Did you break my commandment and commit sin? And the Bible tells us clearly that the transgression of God's law, the breaking of God's commands is sin. That is sin, breaking God's commandments. That's what Adam and Eve did. They broke God's command. And, they, and you might say, well, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. It's just a piece of fruit. You broke the rules. You broke God's commandment. And and in doing so, you turned away from the voice of God. And that is very serious. Very, very serious. And so they had committed sin. They had broken God's commandment. God called them to task. God called them to confession. Notice something else here about confession. Confession of sin was directly to who? From Adam and Eve. And from the serpent, to who? Who did they confess to? God. They confessed their sins directly to God. There was a direct communication here. So how does God do confession when it comes to the sins of mankind? Does God tell us you have to go and confess your sins to another human being, to a man? Or do you need to go and confess them to God in prayer, directly? Well, what is the Bible showing us from Genesis here? Confession is directly before His throne of grace, His throne of mercy. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 in the New Testament tells us that we need to come boldly before the throne of His grace and confess our sins and find forgiveness. We have a heavenly high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God, the righteous one. He is also our high priest. So, The Bible clearly lays it out that confession is not to a man or a priest or whoever, but confession is directly to God in prayer. That is where it takes place because that that relationship needs to be reconciled. So God goes through and He lays it on them. He says, look, things are going to get worse. 
you're all going to experience death. Life's going to get harder. Your work is going to get harder. Thorns and thistles are going to come up. Childbearing is going to get harder. It's going to be painful. That was not my original plan, but you're going to see evil in the world. Before this, everything was good. Now, they knew good and they knew evil. And they were going to see evil in the world. And today we see evil in the world. And people say, well, the world's so evil. How can God be a good God? He is good. And the evil didn't come from Him. The evil came from our choice. And the evil came from the enemy. And so God says, look, you're going to suffer. And ultimately, you're going to die. You're going to return to the dust. And God put them out of the garden. But before He sent them out that way, He didn't say, you're just going to suffer and then die and that's it. He told them something else that was very hopeful. In verse 15, He told them that the seed of the woman was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman. That seed, if you trace the line down, goes all the way to Jesus, to the Messiah, to Christ, to the Savior of mankind. That seed of the woman, trace it down through the history, you'll come to Jesus and the cross. You'll find the seed of the woman who deals that death blow to the serpent. And so we have this story. Now, something else, one last thing, very important before we leave Genesis, and that is verse 20 in Genesis 3. What does it say? Verse 20 and 21. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And verse 21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. God made them coats. As I mentioned before, those fig leaves were not going to cut it. That was not going to get it done. They needed more clothing than that. And God said, I'm going to make you clothes from an animal. A lamb. And it doesn't say specifically a lamb here, but it says, I'll make coats of skins. And you'll see, of course, you see through Scripture the relationship here. But from that animal. Now, that animal wasn't running around without its skin, was it? For that animal to lose its skin, that animal had to die. It had to die. Its blood had to be shed on the earth. So for God to cover up their nakedness and their shame, this innocent animal had to die. He didn't do anything. The animal didn't sin. The animal didn't get in trouble. But he died. He gave up his life and he was innocent. And there's a great lesson in that for us. That although we might try to cover up our shame and our nakedness with fig leaves and our own works, it's not going to work. It doesn't really cover us up. We will still feel naked before God. But God gives us something here that really covers us, and that is the skin of the Lamb, the perfect, innocent righteousness of the Lamb that will cover us. When we come to stand before God, we need nothing less than perfection to experience eternal life. And guess what? None of us have perfection. Like, we're not perfect. We have all sinned and come short of God's glory. But only perfection can allow us into heaven. So how is that possible? Through the skin of the Lamb. Through the righteousness of the Lamb. Through the, the garments, the covering that comes from the Lamb. That is how we can experience eternal life. Through what the Lamb has done. You see, the Lamb died for them. He took their death that they deserved. 
and they took his life, which he deserved, and they took his skin, his righteousness, which was his, and they traded their shameful garments of sin to receive those righteous garments, those perfect garments from the Lamb. And right there in Genesis, the Lord has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is power in the blood of the Lamb, that we are to trust in the Lamb. And people continued these offerings throughout Genesis that we studied this morning in chapter 4, how the, the Lamb had to be sacrificed, the blood had to be offered. That was essential because it points forward to the blood of Jesus. God's people continued this tradition onwards and when you come to Exodus 12, you come to the event of the Passover. What does that mean, Passover? Well, it means that something is looked over or skipped. Something was passed over. What happened in the Passover? The Bible tells us that was the 10th plague in Egypt. God had sent many plagues on Pharaoh and plague number 10 came and he said, look, everyone who wants to live, who wants their firstborn to live, you need to take a lamb. Take that lamb into your house, get rid of all the leaven from your house, all the yeast from your house, take that lamb and kill the lamb. You're going to eat the lamb and you're going to stay in your house and you can share with your neighbor, have your neighbor come and stay with you. If the lamb's too big for your family, invite another family. Get together, stay inside that house. Do not go out. If you go out of that house, you're dead. The firstborn is dead. Do not leave the house. Stay in the house, take that lamb's blood and put it on the door posts, all right, those two vertical posts, and put it on the mantle, on the horizontal post there. Put it on those crossed wooden posts. Put the blood there, the blood of the lamb, and stay inside that house. If you don't have the blood of the lamb, you're in trouble. If you don't stay inside that house with the blood of the lamb, you're in trouble. Because everybody who did not do that all the firstborns in Egypt died that very night. All of them died. The angel of death came over the land of Egypt and they all died. Well, if you were in Egypt that night, you would want to be in the house with the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. You would want to be there. And that's what God instructed his people to do. And you know, there's a lot of things about that lamb. Some very interesting things. Let me share with you briefly. That lamb was supposed to come into the house on the 10th day of the month, Nisan. And by the 14th, that lamb was to be offered. And so they would go out and look for this lamb, and they would keep the lamb in the house for about, it's about three and a half days if you do the math on it, you figure it out. It's about three and a half days. The lamb's supposed to stay there in the house. The people are supposed to get familiar with the lamb. It's just a young little lamb, right? The children get familiar with the lamb. You get to know it a little bit. You're like, wow, that's such a cute little lamb. It's so beautiful. It's so playful. It's so happy. And then after you get to know the lamb, they kill the lamb. And that just makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like you picked it up at Walmart. This lamb has been in your house walking around. You're playing with it. You're having fun with this lamb. You get to know the lamb. And that was God's design, that people should get to know the lamb before the lamb dies. So the lamb's got to walk with us for a while in the house. And as they get familiar and finally they offer the lamb, there's a couple more things. The lamb could not have any blemish on it. 
had to be perfect. No spot, no stains, no blemish. Check it out. Make sure it's perfect. When the lamb was served up, they could not break the bones of the lamb. Did not break the bones. That was specified in Exodus. A couple more things about the lamb. All of it had to be eaten that same night. Nothing was supposed to be left until the morning of that lamb. And if anything was left, they were supposed to burn it up so that there was nothing left. The lamb's blood had to be shed and sprinkled on the doorposts. People were to be cleansed by the lamb. And the lamb died for them so they didn't have to die. That was the Passover celebration. When you think about Jesus, the Bible says that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. When you look at Jesus, He came and spent three and a half years with His people getting to know the house of Israel. He spent time in the house of Israel. Getting to know them and letting them know who He was and letting them know who God was and teaching them all about God. And we read about that in the Gospels in the New Testament. And then we see that Jesus was perfect. There was nothing wrong with Him. He was fully righteous. There was no blemish in Jesus. And then we see that when Jesus was on the cross, they tried to break the bones of the people on the cross, but when they came to Jesus, they said, well, He's already dead, so we're not going to break His bones. Not a bone was broken on this lamb that hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, just like the Passover from thousands of years before. And all of it had to be eaten. No remains were allowed. That very day that Jesus died on the cross, they did not let him hang on the cross overnight. He had to be taken down from the cross. And it's interesting that they would burn the remains of the lamb because anybody who doesn't receive the benefit of the lamb ends up in the lake of fire if you look at Revelation. Right? Those remains, the unused portion of the sacrifice, of the offering. If you don't eat it and experience it, it all gets burned up and you're going to burn with it. If you think about the story in the book of Revelation in the Bible. And so the lamb's blood was shed and it was put on those beams, on the vertical beams and on the horizontal beam. Reminds me of the cross, doesn't it? And so the lamb died so that we would not have to. He died in our place. He died for us. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Exodus. We see it throughout the history of Israel with the Passover celebration. We see it on the cross of Jesus Christ, that He is the great Passover Lamb, that His blood cleanses us from all sin, that Jesus gives us eternal life. What an incredible blessing from the mercy of God. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a look at these several verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There in our New Testament. And there in okay, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look there at verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. There we go. It says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, what was happening in 1 Corinthians 5 is that there was somebody in the church, in this case, in this story, who 
had been living in open sin. They said, look, I'm a believer. I'm here. I'm showing up for church. But their heart wasn't really there. They weren't really showing up with a full surrender to Jesus. And in fact, they were living in fornication. They were living in sexual immorality. Even the kind of sexual immorality that people in the world were like, wow, that's kind of sketchy. That's, ugh, I don't know about that. So this person was living in utter sin and saying, well, I can just live in sin in the church. Does Jesus encourage us to live in sin? Or does he encourage us to live in righteousness? Righteousness. So here's what the Bible says in this chapter. He says, your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, what is leaven? Leaven is yeast. Any of you make bread? Make bread. You like to put some yeast in there. Let that bread rise up. Gets nice and fluffy. Sure tastes good when you toast that up. Put some butter on it, some jam. It's really good. You might be getting hungry. You're in luck. Lunch will be soon. So you get that bread and it's wonderful. But you know what? A little leaven, just a little bit of yeast will make the whole bread rise. That little bit of yeast will affect the whole dough, the whole bread. And we're reminded here that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what is the leaven representing? The leaven was representing sin. And in the Passover, they were not allowed to have any leaven in their house. When they ate the bread on Passover, it was to be unleavened bread. In fact, that's why they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was connected with the Passover, with the lamb. They had this unleavened bread. There was no yeast. And the idea was you don't let any kind of tainting influence or outside corrupting influence mix up the bread. Let the bread be pure. That was the point of unleavened bread. So when you think about the Passover, it was celebrated with unleavened bread. And he's clearly telling us here that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you let sin go on in your life, if you let sin go on in the church, it will affect the whole lump, the whole church. That was the warning that he gave here. So notice verse 7 and 8. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And this weekend we are celebrating that great sacrifice of Jesus. That he, our Passover lamb, has died on the cross for us and risen again. Praise the Lord. We are celebrating that this very weekend. We are remembering what Jesus has done for us. And the Bible says here to purge out the old leaven that we may be a new lump. As we are the church of Jesus Christ today, as we are the people of God today sitting here, the Lord is saying, purge out that old leaven. Purge out that sin. Purge out that corruption through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to deliver us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to save us from our sins. Not only from sin's penalty, which is death, but also from sin's power. God wants to save us from the power of sin in our lives because guess what? The Lamb of God is more powerful than sin. Amen? There's power in the blood. We sang that song this morning. Do you believe it? 
there is power in the blood of Jesus to deliver us from sin. And God wants the lump, the church, to be purified. He says right there in verse 7, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God wants us to have that. When he says keep the feast, he's talking about the experience in Christ, the experience in the church, the experience of Jesus and his cleansing power in our lives. God invites us to have that cleansing power today, to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts today. The question is asked, do you and I want it? Do we want the Holy Spirit today? Do we want the cleansing power of Jesus in our lives today? Do we want Jesus to remove the sin and the leaven from our lives individually and corporately? Do we want Jesus to remove these things? When Jesus came in the first century, he came to the church, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And as a matter of fact, the leaders in the church in the days of Christ, they crucified him. They didn't want Jesus and his message or his truth. They didn't want the cleansing that Jesus wanted to give them. They were compromised. They were living with corruption in their heart, with sin in their hearts. And that's toxic. That sin led to Jesus dying on the cross. It led to the Lamb of God dying on the cross. I don't want sin in my life. How about you? I don't, want, I don't want the devil getting a hold on me. I don't want that sin anywhere nearby. right? I certainly don't want it in, in the heart. So I pray to the Lord that He would deliver us, that He would deliver all of us from sin. Lord, take it out of my life. Some of you probably have gardens. I know some of you for a fact have gardens. And in those gardens grow up a lot of things that you don't want there. What is that? Weeds. Now, do you just let those weeds grow all they want? No. You spend time plucking those weeds out, spraying down weeds on your property, getting rid of those weeds because those weeds are going to overtake your garden and your crop if you don't do it. And that is the truth about our relationship with Jesus today, about our church today, that the weeds of sin need to be removed from our lives to purify the garden so it can produce a wonderful crop, a wonderful harvest, God wants the church to experience that. He wants us to have that purity, that grace, that love of Jesus, and to be people who represent a well-maintained garden that is covered by the grace of Jesus, filled with His Spirit, and filled with His love. We need that today, amen? To have a heart that is purified by the Lord Jesus, to experience the power of the Lamb to deliver us from sin. Christ is our Passover and we are celebrating him today because he has overcome the grave for us and he has also overcome the devil for us, hasn't he? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Every time the devil tried to tempt him and he overcame where we failed, where we listened to Satan, Jesus did not. And Jesus says, you can have that power too. You can be helped too by Jesus. 
We must connect with God, connect with Him in prayer, connect with Him in the Word. Go to Jesus today and say, Lord, do your work in my heart. Lord, purge out that leaven of sin from my life. Lord, make me the person you want me to be. Lord, purify us all. Because just think, if Jesus is doing that in all of us, and we're walking with the Lord in that way, what will happen to the church? The church is going to go up, 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 right? Okay, the blessings of the Lord are going to fall upon us like never before. If we seek the Lord like never before, if we come to Jesus like never before, and pray for that cleansing and say, Lord, purify my life. Take out the leaven of sin. This is the true meaning of the Passover and the power of the Lamb. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So I want to finish on those notes and say, Lord, come into my life today. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, cleanse us. Will you stand with me today to say that before the Lord? Lord, cleanse me. Lord, cleanse us. Lord, purify us, please. Take out the leaven of sin, that there will be a new lump without leaven. Jesus is the unleavened bread, and we need to follow Jesus, to be unleavened also, purified of sin. We're going to sing our closing song, and then we'll close with prayer. Our closing song is about the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's hymn number 109, Marvelous Grace. Our Father in heaven, today we pray for that wonderful grace, that marvelous grace that is greater than all our sin. Lord, we know that Jesus came to do amazing things for us on the cross, to save us from sin, from its penalty, and also from its power in our lives. Lord, you want to cleanse us of all sin by your marvelous and wonderful grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that special work in our lives today. Today we come before you asking for you to remove the leaven of sin and corruption from our hearts and from our lives. Lord, take the weeds out of this garden. Let us be pure and holy vessels for you, purified by the blood of the Lamb, saved by the power of the Lamb at work in our lives. Please bless each of us individually in our experience with you, and bless our church, Lord. Help us to grow in Jesus, our wonderful Savior. May you cleanse and purify us as you desire to, and make us vessels for your grace, to be filled with your Spirit, to be used by you and led by you to share the good news of Jesus with all the world around us. For this we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. It's been great having you as a listener. May God richly bless your day. I look forward to having you join me for the next podcast. Blessings and take care.